0: 10-5, he's into the end zone, touchdown Arkansas State! Deflected into the hands of Phelps, Avery for three hits! Cover is safe,
1: the Red Wolves have walked it off! Welcome to the Second to None podcast, the A-State podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Now, here's a couple of guys who know the Red Wolves like no one else, Matt Stoltz and Brad Boba. Coming
0: up, we've got plenty of basketball talk for you, both the... Men's and women's teams were in action this past week. A lot to recap there. Also, another great weekend for the track and field teams. They were at a couple of different venues over the weekend. We'll talk about their latest accomplishments. In the meantime, this is podcast number 80 Mm. for us. And we have our first three-time guest on episode number 80 of this podcast. Historic episode. It is. In so many ways it's historic. It's our good buddy Butch Jones joining us in studio. How you doing coach?
2: I'm doing great. Number 80 so let's make it the best. I think we're all good with that. So we've got a lot to talk
0: about. It's Super Bowl week. I want to start there and I think this is really cool because everybody around the country this week is talking about the Eagles and the Chiefs. They're talking about the Kelsey Bowl. And you have a very unique position here and that you were the college coach for both of those guys at Cincinnati. How cool is that? How much pride do you feel getting ready to watch those two in the Super Bowl coming up this week?
2: Well, a lot of pride and it's kind of like being the equivalent of being a proud dad and uh just, you know, watching their maturation throughout the course of the years and then You know, having uh, basically two and two players on each team. You got Jason Kelsey for the Eagles. Derek Barnett is also on the Eagles. He's unfortunately on injured reserve. And then you have Travis Kelsey of the Chiefs and the starting right guard, Trey Smith. Uh, So it's kind of two and two, but obviously the Kelsey Bowl, uh, very near and dear to my heart. And it's been a whirlwind of a week uh, with all the media, responses that we've had to get to but it's been great it's been great for not only the Kelsey brothers but it's actually been great on a national scale for Arkansas State football so I've enjoyed doing that but none other than the podcast we're doing today so uh, excited (laughs) to talk about it well I saw a
0: petition was going around a lot of people were trying to get their mom to be out there for the coin toss on Sunday and I thought well that's a neat idea obviously you know the parents. Talk about her and just kind of what she's going through right
2: now. Well, between her and their father, Ed, and I know they're they're proud parents, and very rightfully so, if you look at, you know, how far their kids have come. But, you know, not only, you know, we always talk to our players about It's one thing to say that you play in the National Football League. It's another to say you've had a career in the National Football League. And I think when their time is up, um, there's going to be consideration for both of them to Enter into the National Football League Hall of Fame, which is pretty remarkable and pretty special in and of itself.
1: Now, notice you you went two and two, but I give you credit. You expand that to Alabama, and then guys you cross paths with there, and you're going to have dudes in every Super Bowl for a long time.
2: Well, I think all of them have a number of common traits and similarities in that they're extremely competitive. You're bringing up Jalen Hurts, Devonte Smith, um, you know, but high character individuals that love to compete. Uh, you know, it really kind of hit home two weeks ago. I was texting. We actually have a group text, uh, Trey Smith and Travis and myself. And we we're talking about the upcoming game against Cincinnati. And, uh, you know, Travis chimes in on the text and goes, Coach, you wouldn't want it any other way. Biggest stage The competition continues to get better and better. This is what it's all about. And I kind of sat back and kind of dissected that comment. And that's really, you know, we talk about competitive character and so much that we're trying to instill instill in our players. And a lot of times I think it's an an innate gift um, that you just can't become competitive. I think it's innately in you. But Travis, you know, has spoken to our team via Zoom with our team this year as well. But just again, when you look at the ability to persevere, resolve, you know, the resiliency, the resolve that that comes along. I always say we live in a sports center society. Everybody, you know, sees the highlights on sports center, but what they don't see is the highs and the lows and the trials and the tribulations that go into them making those plays and then them as people as well.
0: We obviously are excited about the Super Bowl, but we want to talk about your team and everything that you and your staff have been able to accomplish over the course of the last couple of months just turning in your second straight number one recruiting class in the Sun Belt. When it was all said and done, 36 new players were added, 23 high school, 12 FBS or FCS transfers, and then a junior college player as well. Overall, just kind of looking back, how pleased are you with
2: this particular class? Well, we're very excited, and I think it's exciting when you couple this class with last year's class. And make no mistake about it, you know, it's we, we've talked about it many occasions, is we need a, to build a foundation within our football program. And I think that's how you build success, and that's how you build sustained success. And so we knew coming in here, That uh, we would need to follow the course, trust the process, so to speak, follow the plan and not deviate, not become emotional with the plan and kind of disrupt it. And we knew that, you know, we were going to go through some major growing pains with really trying to build this through the high school ranks. And I think when you look at senior day last year, this past season, we only had one four-year senior in that group. Mm-hmm. and uh, I want to say we only have nine that's unheard of it's unheard of I don't think it's ever been done in the history of college football and then I want to say we have you know nine or ten seniors in in this uh, senior class so again we knew that we would take some growing pains but I think now it's re- time to win and uh, there'll still be some you know some transitional period but I'm excited about that and uh, you know our players believe in what's going on we talked about you know, part of this class, a lot of this class was their ability to recruit and want to be involved. And they've been our greatest ambassadors. We were able to address a lot of deficiencies in our program. We will continue to look to add, you know, to this class is really kind of, now you look at the nuance of college football, you really have three signing periods. You have the December period, the Mm -hmm. February signing period, and then in May. And you know, the thing about the portal though, when you're signing late portal guys, from a college coach perspective, you don't have anything to bind them. So you have to really focus on their character, being a people of their word. Uh, So that's, you know, being an interesting journey in and of itself. But uh, I'm excited. You know, we really wanted individuals that knew how to win, you know, that they've played for state championships. They've led their teams to the state playoffs They've been around turnarounds in their high school programs. We've been able to do that. And then being able to get these individuals, a lot of these individuals, 12 of them on campus already uh, interacting yeah. with, our, with our football team. And then three of the high school signees are also mid-year enrollees. So 15, that elevates spring football. That elevates competition and moving forward.
1: Two things I want to ask about the second one because you just mentioned it. And if people paid enough attention, they're going to kind of know a situation you dealt with here. But you just said these late transfer guys don't sign anything that binds them to the school. They sign something that binds the school to them, but not the other way around. In this ever-changing landscape, as prevalent as the transfer portal is and probably is going to be for the foreseeable future, does that need to be addressed? Should they be bound to the school they signed with?
2: I do. I do think it needs to be addressed, and unfortunately, we went through some of the new rules and, and the voting of the new rules and legislation coming up, and that wasn't a part of it, and I'm going to bring that up. You know, the other thing where we're behind is a conference is every conference I've been a part of, they've had a, a inter-conference institutional grant and aid form where that individual, whether it's a transfer or a college a college player, a transfer, or a high school player is you also sign a letter of intent that's your conference letter of intent. So what that does is it's binding interconference school-wise. So you can't have what happened to us in the situation you're addressing. And I spoke to the commissioner about it and they just, we haven't done it. I don't think they've ever thought that far ahead. And that's something for us, I think, to protect the integrity of our conference with the member schools. We need to start to do that because I know we did it in the SEC. We did it in the Mid-American Conference. We did it in the Big East at that point in time. And I think because of it's it's not on a national landscape with a national letter of intent for the, for the transfer portal, but we need to do that for a conference standpoint.
1: The other thing, because we're going to dive into this class, but before we do, kind of step back another step, because we've talked a lot about it here. You've talked about it a lot the way you've sort of committed to building this thing. And it'd be the way that we used to be, you know, I'll use my air quotes here. It would be called the right way, laying the foundation of young classes. In this day and age, it's also the really, really scary way. So yeah. this yeah. class you just signed is great, but what seems like maybe sort of helped the cause or just how big a confidence boost was it for you that you can do it this way Because of your guys' ability to keep last year's class together.
2: Well, I think that was a big part of it. But as we know, you know, when you have back-to-back top recruiting classes, everybody's watching your players. They're watching the growth and evolution of your football program. So that's going to be the next challenge as we move forward as these young players turn into veteran, older players. That's going to be a challenge uh, that we're going to have to really accept here. And uh, there's a lot that goes into it, and and now when you when you go, you have to be able to recruit your building first and foremost. And a lot of it is name, image, and likeness. Um, that's the way of the world, as we talk about. I I spoke to a number number of head coaches within the Sun Belt that had veteran groups, that coaches that had inherited a veteran group that were at the top level of our of our conference, and that's exactly what they did. They invested all their name, image, and likeness money into the individuals that were now juniors and seniors to keep them from being poached. And, you know, by rule, you're not supposed to, but as we all know, <laughs> that's very common. And so, you know, you have to understand that that's going to come with the point in time, you know, we've already had that with one of our players that we were able to retain, but uh, as we continue to grow and elevate, that definitely does become uh, an issue and that becomes something that we're going to ha- have to hit off, but we're already planning for that time when that time comes.
0: Do want to hit some of the highlights of this recruiting class and some of the positions in particular that we want to talk about are on the offensive side of the ball, and we'll start with quarterback and we've talked about it many times You knew that you had to bring in several players with James Blackman and a j Mayer being gone now. I know you really like Jackson Daly, but he's going to be a redshirt freshman this season. You needed more bodies in that room, brought in a couple of talented high school players and Jalen Rayner and Christian Hunt, but also needed to bring in somebody with experience. And you found that in the portal in Colorado transfer, J.T. Shroud.
2: Yes, you know, when you look at it, back in the day when you do your roster management, you have a certain number of scholarship players you need at every position. That's kind of like the formula, the ingredient. Most programs are pretty much similar a lot of it's based on your scheme and philosophy but they're pretty much the same back in the day you wanted to have five scholarship quarterbacks I think in today's world that's that's probably not feasible Um, that's not realistic but you need four and last year we were at three and, and we know when James went down and then when AJ went down all we had was Jackson and then we have a running back playing quarterback so we really needed to build that up plus I think competition as we talked about you you have to have the ability to compete it this is going to elevate Jackson Daly's game and uh you know to his credit he welcomed that he wanted that and I think the other thing is the culture of the room you know those individuals have to work together and make each other better so you know you have Jackson Daly but going into it so we had one redshirt freshman and that was it so then you had Jalen Rayner who's a high school senior but he's a mid-year player which is going to help So we wanted to have an older player, a veteran player who we know a lot about, and then obviously be able to add another freshman. And, you know, to be able to add Christian Hunt, he's an individual we had in our camp. We followed his maturation through his senior year very closely out of California. Very, very good arm talent, quick release. And then J.T. Shroud comes in from Colorado, Tennessee, and, you know, know a lot about him, know a lot of people who know him as well. I thought he was one of the best quarterbacks uh, in the portal, but we're going to need to keep recruiting as well. But JT is of high character. So when he says, I'm coming and gives you his word, you have to believe that. So I think he adds the arm talent, the leadership, loves football. He's going to fit in. Our players are going to love him. He spent, you know, an official visit here and Our players kind of gravitated towards him. He's already built a lot of relationships with him. He's already learning the offense. So I think, you know, that room as we move forward, it's going to be a talented room, a great room, and they're all going to help each other in terms of elevating each other's game.
1: Again, obviously we're talking more about the new guys, but you touched on it. This says a lot about Jackson Daly because especially now, a lot of guys in his spot, if you're going to go try to fill up the quarterback room, well, they're just going to take their ball and go home. And he did the exact opposite, said, "All right, I'll just stay and work more."
2: And was our top recruiter, he was involved in every weekend, even uh, you know, the second weekend official weekend in December when everyone had went home, he stayed and then drove to Iowa on, on Sunday just to be a part of it. And then when when you know, when uh, JT visited, we made sure we had him and Jalen involved in the official weekend. Uh, we just thought that that was important that, you know, they understood where we were coming from, that all those individuals have to work collectively as one in that group. So that was exciting to see too. Is And that's why I said It's I've never been a part of anything like this where all your players want to be involved in recruiting. And they are proud of the culture that we're building, and especially individuals that have been here for a few years now, they know exactly what they walked into, especially our first recruiting class. They understand it. So now they've been able to apply what they learned and now help us in that recruiting process as well. We had Justin
0: Parks in on the podcast a few weeks ago and really enjoyed visiting with him. But he talked about just how he embraced his role, one of the leaders on this team, and he's one of the guys that's, one of your guys and really one of those building blocks that it took to get this thing going. And now that you have guys like Jackson Daly and Justin parks, it makes it easier on you as a
2: coaching staff. I'm sure. Well, absolutely. We always talk about, you know, championship teams, teams that win, you know, their player led team, not coach led team. And, you know, the culture begins in the weight, in the weight room. It begins in the locker room. You know, you have to fight for your culture every single day, and it's your beliefs every single day and how you respond to adversity and how you attack things. And make no mistake about it, we have to become a much more physical, uh, a much more mature football team to be able to handle the sudden changes, the ups and downs, the disruptions, you know, in schedules in terms of not needing to know what's next, just whatever's next, just let's attack it. So we really focused on that early this off season. And, you know, you look at the fourth quarter out of our 12 games, eight of them we were ahead going into those, and we weren't able to close. And I think a lot of it is the lack of depth. I think that caught up to us because not only are they involved in offense, defense, but special teams, and then I think the leadership as well, and then the complementary football. And so we've actually gone and studied our fourth quarters almost like from a TV copy. We've watched everything in its entirety, just to be able to see, okay, where did we go wrong? You know, was it play calling? Was it lack of depth? Was it lack of competency from our players? What do we need to do to recruit better to move on? So we've looked at anything and everything.
0: One position that I know you talked about a lot last season, needing to go out and address and recruiting was wide receiver. And you signed more at that position group than – any other position group on your team, seven players were signed. And that includes the return of Corey Rucker. And I know a lot of a state fans when they heard that news last week,
2: were very excited. Well, I think if you ask anyone in our football program, particularly on offense, we needed to come completely rebuild the culture in the receiver room, mm-hmm. you know, our expectations that's expected that the demand of excellence on a daily basis, um, And then, obviously, playmaking ability. And the first thing was, you know, consistency and performance from that group, but also speed, the ability to make plays in space, the ability to create. You know, everyone wants to look at the quarterback, but you have to be able to win your one-on-one matchups out on the perimeter. And for us... To improve as a football team and improve as an offense everything is about the ability to create explosive plays we had very minimal especially from that position group so we've really tried to make a commitment starting with some really talented and fast high school players yeah and then supplement it like you just brought up with Corey rucker and he understands our program i think he'll be a great resource which you know brad just brought up a few minutes ago about now when we start to win it's recruiting the room well now Corey can speak to them, hey, you know, I chased the SEC. That's something I wanted to do. And I got there and I said, I like Arkansas State better. That's where I need to be. That's my home. And have him the ability to come back and now he can he can use that messaging and it's it's real and it's authentic. So for him to be able to do that, and then, you know, you go and you, you get an individual, you know, in the portal of a Courtney Jackson oh, who was yeah. – at Syracuse and two years ago, he was their leading receiver. I think the other thing that Courtney brings is special teams value from the returning standpoint. So I'm excited. Um, you know, as we talked about the third signing period coming in, however you want to name it is it'll give us the ability to really really focus and really evaluate where we're at as a football team in the nine position groups through spring and then the ability to adjust and if there's somebody that can improve our team then we'll look to add to this class you know come the month of may
1: there are a million cliches in sports and a lot of it can be cliches they can be called coach speak but i don't know like the, the one that is truest of all is that if you're not good up front you're yeah. just not going to be good I mean, it's just going to be next to impossible. From your first year to year two, we saw a a change in the offensive line to at least you started the 2022 season with a starting group up front you were very confident in. And we saw the results, the way you guys produced on offense early in the year. You can also go trace from fourth quarter at Memphis, from the first injury there, sort of the domino effect. So now year two to year three, where do you feel about your depth up front from the step you took from year one to year
2: two? Well, very well said when you really talked about last year. And, you know, when you look at the way we started, I thought our starting 11 or really our starting 22 on offense and defense. We were a very good football team. And I think we had worked in, in one short period of time to really develop a good football team at all 22 positions, but we were not good at number 22, number 23, number 24. Mm -hmm. We were an injury away from being a good football team to an average. Then when you have a multitude of injuries, now now your challenges begin. And I think when we started to lose the offensive lineman, you know, it started with Robert Holmes in the Memphis game, but it's a cumulative effect. You know, when you look at Jordan Rhodes, who arguably was probably our best offensive lineman, uh, he had a fractured shoulder the entire year, so he barely practiced, only played on game days. And I think that affected him. And then, uh, you know, when you look across the board, the individuals, particularly McKeelan Thomas, played with a broken foot, and he's having to play left tackle against their best player of every opponent you play that adds up and you know when you watch a game if you really dissect it as a fan what do most fans watch they watch the ball you know so that's why everyone's yelling at the quarterback it it hit me (laughs) I, I went to I went to the sugar bowl and sat in the stands and I'm behind some fans and and they're yelling at the quarterback and and I'm watching you know the lines of scrimmage and I'm watching the receivers out on the perimeter and I'm thinking okay where's he gonna throw the football nobody's open or you know, nobody's able to protect the quarterback. And so you follow the ball. But really, when you watch football, you watch the, the lines of scrimmage. You watch out on the perimeter that they have to play without the football. But, uh, you know, we've really made an investment in the offensive line and really the entire lines of scrimmage. You're right. They set the mentality, the toughness. You went up front. Make no mistake about it. So we've invested with six individuals coming in, two really, really talented high school players, really excited about – As we go, we just got to continue to build it. Walker Davis is a high school player who's here at mid-year. And then we'll get Mason Myers out of Alabama, who was highly recruited. We love him. We had him in camp. And then you look at the transfers. And they've molded into our program already. And that's been exciting to see also. And then we are able to create depth now because we had players have to play last year that probably weren't ready to play. And usually, if you follow a formula, it usually takes three full years for an offensive lineman to develop. Year two, they'll be better, but they're still not going to be like they can be when they hit year three of three years in a solid strength and conditioning program. You also
0: addressed the offensive line through the portal. Three old Miss transfers on the offensive line. You also added a center. Those are big additions, but kind of getting back to those old Miss transfers and just those building blocks of your program – to this point I, I think one guy that needs to be thrown in to that group is jordan rhodes after he transferred from old miss he was just here for one year but he completely bought into what you were trying to do and i know he had a big effect on those three players also coming in from old miss
2: well when we talk about our players being our best ambassadors it really starts with jordan rhodes um you know and i think that the players at Ole Miss, especially in the offensive line, knew what Jordan was at Ole Miss. And then they saw him come here, and he's been very outspoken of his experience here and his love for Arkansas State. But also now they see him rising up in the, on the draft boards, and he's got an opportunity to be a third or fourth round draft choice. And so they see his progress. They see how Arkansas State helped grow and develop him and. Those players wanted to be a part of it. And we know just from a stature standpoint, they make us much bigger, much more physical. And uh, so it's going to be exciting to see how they progress as a full unit uh, throughout the course of spring.
0: Looking at the other side of the ball, and I know we've been talking about offense to this point, and I guess we'll stay up front with the line of scrimmage. One thing that you wanted to do was beef up the interior part of that defensive line and that's something you were able to do
2: yeah and it's a challenge you know we talk about the portal probably besides quarterback the second most sought after position in the portal is defensive linemen particularly defensive tackles yeah so it gets back to you know do you want to succumb to your recruiting profile and take a marginal player or do you want to say okay we're gonna maybe Go through some growing pains, but we feel in two years this player, as a high school player, being grown and developed in our program, is going to be much better. So we we really made took that approach. So if you look at it, we signed four defensive tackles. Three of them are high school players that we're really excited about. Uh, one one year transfer um, that we're also excited about him just from a stability standpoint. Micah Bland, and then a defensive end in Terrell James out of Lake Wales in Florida, and we'll look to add to that group. But I think the other thing is being disciplined in your approach when it comes to the portal and even in high school players. In today's age of where we're at, your recruiting profile is absolutely critical, and it starts with character, and then it starts with your football character, your competitive character, your love for the game, your internal drive. Do they like to practice? You know, Are they going to keep the big three in perspective, academics, football and socially and keep them in that order we also looked at the gpas of our high school players i think that's a great indication of success down the road as well so we really wanted to make sure we knew their makeup we also wanted to make sure that everyone that signed with us they understood that they would be held to a daily standard of excellence in everything that we do in the community in the classroom and on the field and in the weight room and then also I think the other thing is the connectivity of your team, your team chemistry. Um, so we wanted to make sure, and, you know, I told every every player this. I said, as much as you're evaluating us, if this is the place for you, we're also evaluating you to see if you can make it here and fit our principles and values of a football family and an organization.
1: Because you've used the phrase sort of there's a third, you've even called it a signing period. And, you know, because we used to be, hey, signing day was – First Wednesday in February. Well, then we got the early signing period, which sort of became signing day, and then the, the wasn't as much in February. The third one, just so everybody knows, is that you know the portal's going to open back up out of spring football, and really there will be a lot of names available that weren't the first go-round because guys are going to go through spring and sort of see where they stand at their current depth
2: chart. Well, you couple that with I saw a stat that there's a little less than 600 players that are still left in the portal from the first mm. portal signing and then they just signed the they just changed the rules with the portal and bumped it up so it's actually mid April where I see you have a 15 day window which is a little bit different than the December period but then what you got to remember is you know most schools break for a month in May and then you get back June 1st so you're going to be recruiting so when we talk about recruiting is a year-round process it's been never more evident and I think the other key when you really look back why we've been successful you know with recruiting particularly at the high school level it's been our camp program you know we've been able to get these individuals to campus so we can build a relationship they can get around our current team but it allows us the ability to to evaluate them and you evaluate them when they stay the night You know, you're able to evaluate them from an athletic standpoint in your camp. So these camps are critical as we continue to move forward.
0: I do want to talk a little bit more about the defense and and another position group I know you wanted to address was linebacker. And, you know, you were able to bring in four linebackers with this class, and that includes an FBS transfer and Gavin Potter, who's coming in from Kansas.
2: Yes, Gavin's played a lot of football and, uh, you know, he's a downhill Mike linebacker and You know, we play defensive football at the second level a lot differently than most programs do in terms of the downhillness of our linebackers and their fits, and they have to read the center and different things and and have no indecisiveness. So actually as an offense, it's hard for you to, to determine are they bringing pressure, are they blitzing, or are they just reading the run and really reacting downhill. So it takes a special linebacker to play, but if you're a linebacker, you're going to get a ton of tackles. So you want to have that. But we'll look to add to this group again. But also, when you look at it from a special team standpoint, a lot of your special teams players come from the secondary, the back end of your defense, and the linebacker position. And we haven't had that luxury uh, since we've been here in terms of having depth in the linebacker room. I think that's the thing is you're never going to fix all your deficiencies in a program. You know, it's it's methodical. Like you saw, right? we needed to fix the deficiencies at the receiver room. So we went out there and we really tried that, the offensive line. You know, we really made a commitment last year to high school players to be able to grow and develop. It's the defensive tackle and the defensive ends that we need to continue to grow and develop. So you're never going to fix all your deficiencies in one or two classes, but I can tell you this, we're a much better football team right now than any point since we've been here.
1: You and uh, your staff, previously, you you guys were out front and sort of learning how to work the, the blue shirt system, and a lot of people followed suit. Now you're sitting here talking about signing 36, and not being done when a, a class used to be counting, you know, signing 25 counters, and you'd be kind of that'd be kind of it. So what's it been like? You've done this before, kind of got out in front of of how to make the rules work to your advantage. What's it been like doing it with a whole new set of rules?
2: Well, it has been a whole new set of rules, and I think the other thing that was a monumental change. So in the past, and it's still the same. You have 85 scholarships. Mm-hmm. You cannot go over that but where the landscape changed rule-wise is you could only sign 25 in an initial class and then you got into the world of blue shirting which they would basically you wouldn't put them on scholarship until after training camp so they would come as a walk-on you put them on scholarship they would count towards next year's number so you're always behind when you blue shirt so you better be sure that these individuals are worthy of scholarships Well, the rule changed this year. There is no more initial 25. If you have 40 open scholarships, you can sign 40 individuals. And then what they also changed is each scholarship now is renewable each year. And you can elect to not renew a scholarship for any reason. It used to be you could not not renew their scholarship because they weren't good enough or they didn't fit what you were looking for. Now, you don't need a reason they're just one-year renewable scholarships and we've helped a lot of individuals gain other places to go that hey you know we think this would be a better place for you we're not going to abandon you we're going to help you we're going to find you another place to go and we've been able to do that so as we go in the spring anyone and everyone will be can continue to be evaluated as we move the program forward
1: well by helping those guys Number one, there's two things. For the young man, you're not just putting somebody out in the cold, basically. But number two, like, from a program standpoint, that word's going to get out. I mean, among you know, amongst other college programs or whatever the case is, if you're a place that's going to always help take care of your guys, even in terms of trying to help their next spot, I mean, that's still going to help you somewhere down the road. Yes, it does. And I think the other thing that
2: not a lot of people publicly have touched on is your walk-on program is big but you're probably your walk-on program has never been more vital than it is to this point in time Mm -hmm. now here's the way around it there's always loopholes right just like (laughs) the blue shirts so what a lot of schools are doing now is they're getting scholarship players to walk on and actually get them name image and likeness deals to pay for their schooling so they're really going to be schools are going to be over 85 with scholarship caliber players it's just they elect to take a name, image, and likeness deal to help pay for their college education.
0: That's the thing we, we eventually wanted to get to, to to kind of wrap things up to the collective. And I know here in the last couple of weeks, we, we've been talking about it a lot more. I know during the state of the pack the week before it last, it was touched on. And Demario Davis has talked about how he's involved in this collective. I think a lot of people are excited about that, but, He and guys like Chris Woodard and Davey Carter are are starting to kind of lead the charge on this. And I know it's going to be a big help for you down the road.
2: Well, it's going to be a big help, but it's a necessity. I think in today's world of college football, if you don't have a collective, if you don't have people being involved, you're basically going to have no opportunity. You're going to have no chance because, you know, everyone is doing it now. And, it, you know, when it first started, everybody thought, oh, this is an SEC thing. This is a power five thing. Well, guess what? The time has come. It's an all everything in college football. And it's really prominent in our Sun Belt. And so we're going to need everybody's help. And I think there's a, a misconstrued that it, it for name, image and likeness that it's just it's money and it's being paid for your services. There's a lot of other things you can do. You can provide meals if you have a business. A lot of schools are using that. If you have an apartment, you can provide an apartment. So you can provide, you know, just other things other than monetary payments uh, for a name, image, and likeness. And then what makes it challenging is each state is different with their with their rules, mm-hmm. with their state laws. So what you can do at some institutions, because they're in this state, you can't do in other institutions or states because of the state law so that's where it kind of makes it uneven but there's so much that goes into name image and like this it's not just the money value it's the other services that you can receive from apartments from housing to meals to all those things and you know when you talk about it takes a lot now with the, with the recruiting efforts of a recruiting class, It's never been more prevalent than what it is right now.
0: And I want to say this, too, and and really ask you, I know you have a great relationship with other coaches around the country. When they find out that you've just turned in two straight number one recruiting classes without paying really anything to any of these players, what do they say to you?
2: They can't believe it. They want to know the blueprint. How are you getting this done? And uh, so that's why we know that, you know, it's going to come down the road in terms of retaining our players, but I think it still comes down to relationships. I think it comes down to past experiences. You know, we've won everywhere we've been. So I think players look at that. They know it's only a matter of time. You know, we have a great college campus community. We have great facilities. We sell Jonesboro. We sell Northeast Arkansas. We get them around our town and it's our players. And, 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 Everyone that's come here has said, you guys are different. It just feels different from a family environment to high expectations. But also, you know, we always talk about short-term gain versus long-term success. You know, you can go somewhere for a little bit of money, but if you want to play in the National Football League, what's the best investment in your future? And I think – from a a sports performance standpoint from Jeff Jones and his staff to way we grow and develop from a mental standpoint to how they're going to grow, uh, in our football program, socially, you know, physically, mentally, all that. I think they want to be a part of it and they know that we've won everywhere we've been. So there's something behind that. There's evidence behind that, but it makes it more and more challenging and moving forward. But, um, It's really been a unique deal of the zero dollars invested.
1: Which leads me kind of to this, probably the last thing I had for you. And some of it, some of what you just said is going to pop up in this answer. But Matt and I actually had to describe to us back on signing day that that there are almost two Butch Joneses. There's football season Butch Jones and recruiting season Butch Jones. Your results, everywhere you've been, they sort of speak for themselves. You're good at it. Uh, I guess I'd ask it either two ways, either why, which you just touched on, but Why do you like it so much? I'm a people person.
2: I love being around people. I also know that recruiting is the lifeline of our football program. Good players make good coaches. We're, we started the podcast off talking about the Kelsey brothers who arguably are going to probably end up in the National Football League Hall of Fame. You know, we always talk about good players make good coaches. And so you you win with people, you win with talent. So you have to have a passion for that part of it. Um, you have to recruit every single day. You have to lead the charge. Uh, it starts with me first and foremost. I can't ask any of our assistant coaches to do anything that I wouldn't do in terms of energy, passion, speaking with recruits, being visible, you know, building relationships not with the prospective student athlete, but the moms, the dads, the aunts, the grandmothers, the grand, you know, the grandfathers, the grandparents overall, just everything that goes into it, high school coaches, you know, people that are important in their lives. Um, So there's a lot that goes into it. And then, you know, taking a young man who comes in your program and growing them and developing into a, a Travis Kelsey, a Jason Kelsey, you know, those types of individuals. Um, That's what it's all about. And, you know, it's important. I knew coming here that I would have to teach a group of individuals truly what it is to recruit at a high level. But also, you know, it's everyone on campus. The official visit, the unofficial visits are so critical. And so it's, you know, what are you moving forward? Like when we walk into the social and they can feel the energy of the bowling alley, and all the people there, and the people coming up and welcoming them, the Jonesboro, the Parsonage, going there and starting their Saturday mornings off with a great breakfast, a buffet. All those things are absolutely critical. And then, you know, my house in Hogapalooza coming in, and and they all talk about the meals. You know, the Embassy su- Embassy Suites Embassy and how they treat our players when they come in on official visits. All that it takes a community. have a recruiting class and then i think the positivity on the message boards and all that i mean we had we had one individual who was messaging a recruit of you don't have enough stats for us to be able to take you and we had to basically reach out to him and say what are you doing have you watched this individual on video well no i haven't well we love your passion, but this is not helping us in moving the program forward. So I think it's continuing to educate our fan base, too, that the positivity. It's a family on game day. What type of game day environment do you have? Can they feel the excitement when we go through the Red Wolf Walk and they see fans show up to actually greet our team? You know, the band that does a great job on games. It's everything. It's the Chumbotron that you can leave no stone unturned it's you know what you show them on campus you know all those things go into having a great recruiting class and there's a lot that goes into it
0: you left one thing out the karaoke
2: yeah I was hoping you wouldn't go there
0: (laughs) now now wait a minute I remember on signing day you talking about this and we asked you your go-to songs with karaoke and they are
2: well, it's at the end when we conclude it with We Are Family. All right. So, And then usually I'll start it off with a little cool in the gang or celebration. And I'll usually pick a parent to come up with me. And uh, we'll start it off, and that kind of breaks the tension because <laughs> they know if I can get up there and sing because I'm awful, that it gives everyone else confidence to get up there and sing as well. And, you know, Hayden McLean's a great friend of the program, and, and he has a big part of that as well. And it's just making – that experience when they come to Jonesboro one of the most remarkable experiences they have and it's not just the prospective student athlete but it's the families the brothers the sisters that accompany on them you know on their official visit as well
0: coach always good to see you appreciate good ca- you coming good in catching today.
2: up we got number four coming up here at some point right absolutely
0: getting ready for it We'll do that sometime soon. But you
2: are the first to number three. And I will tell you this, again, getting back to the Kelsey Bowl, again, he has such a great message for our football team. And, you know, as he told our football team, you know, I had to suspend him, and football was over with. And I had Jason with me on it saying, Coach, he needs you. You can't give up on him. Let's come up with some – with some criteria, and he had to have a 3.0 in a semester to be able to earn his way back on the football team. And he actually had a 3.2. And nobody would know who Travis Kelsey, that suspension made him who he is. And uh, we talk all the time about, I always say, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And the way he's grown and developed has really been fun to watch.
0: That's Butch Jones joining us here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. We've got more to come right after this.
2: When we play today, we win something
1: bigger than ribbons or trophies. We win our tomorrows. Wherever we play, wherever we fight, wherever we overcome odds, we're winning our way. Simmons Bank is committed to supporting women athletes in the communities we serve and are proud to be an official sponsor of A-State Women's Athletics. Not just for a season, but for a winning future. Seasons are short, but fierce is forever. Simmons Bank, member FDIC.
0: Big week for the basketball teams. The men were at home for a couple of games. And as we've talked about at length, injuries have been... Such a big theme all season long for the Red Wolves. And even before Thursday's game against South Alabama, Mike Bilotto's team losing a couple of more players. Malcolm Farrington with an Achilles injury. He's out for the next several weeks. And on Tuesday, Marquise Davis actually injured his ankle in practice. He was unable to go, even though he tried to go through warm-ups on Thursday. He didn't play on Thursday because of that ankle. So, at that point you're down to seven scholarship players against South Alabama and the Red Wolves end up falling short 82-62 and look, the effort has never been in question no. for the men. They've continued to play hard. In fact, they out-rebounded a bigger South Alabama team 32 to 29. Only turned it over eight times in that game, but just way too many easy buckets. South Alabama was able to get the ball inside all night long. Their big seven-footer, Kevin Samuel, was ten of eleven. I don't know how many of those ten were dunks, but it seemed like all of them were. And
1: didn't have a real wide shot chart. Yeah, South <laughs> ended up shooting
0: fifty-seven percent on the night.
1: Matchup problems, to say the very least, inside there, and just uh, you know, I'll echo what you say, what you said. This bunch, I don't care what the record is. I don't care what's happened within a particular game. And you've seen them, obviously, more than I have just from being on the road with them, too. But I, I've never one time, not literally, not one time, looked out there and said, that bunch has kind of folded it up. Not for a day, not for possession. Whatever their issue is, it is not an effort issue. Uh, they have continued to play hard no matter what.
0: Just so thin. And you could tell that, you know, they were outmatched on thursday due to numbers due to the size of south alabama and you you just kind of had to pick your poison in that game what was fun was saturday and seeing it finally come together and i I thought just a complete game for the red wolves they end up ending the losing streak defeating coastal carolina 73 to 57 kind of a back and forth game in the first half but i love the way the first half ended a state went on a nine nothing run to end the half and then early in the second i thought a, a pivotal part of the ball game was you know it's tied at 30 and then avery felt hits three consecutive threes to put us up nine and it was a pretty comfortable lead the rest of the way
1: yeah once you got a little working lead coastal never really made uh, much of a run at it with what you mentioned there with avery hitting shots and then you know caleb fields Putting a guy on a poster. And I can tell you for sure, that guy didn't know that was coming. Neither did most of uh, First National Bank Arena. And, of course, leave it to Johnny on the spot, Mark Taylor, to come back and tell me this this morning. That was the third career dunk for Caleb Fields, and it was a doozy.
0: Well, I looked it up after it happened. I had Jerry Scott sitting next to me. I said, hand me those game notes. Because I knew that he had dunked at some point in his career. I knew he hadn't done it. This season, but I saw that it was his third career dunk, his first this season. But when he gets (laughs) a steal in transition, the last thing you're thinking is, especially with all the injuries Caleb's dealt with this season, he's still out there playing with a fractured wrist. But I'm not thinking he's going to go down and dunk on somebody. But he got up high, and man, he got everybody on their feet with that dunk as well. But 15 of his 19 points in the second half – Terrence Ford had a good game, 16 points for him. Now, the thing that maybe stood out more than anything else was who played in the second half. I can't remember ever seeing this before, but we saw an A-State team play an entire half, the entire second half, with the same five players. Coach Bilotto never subbed. Uh, I thought those five guys were fantastic. They were the right five to have on the floor at the time
1: yeah i just would say we're talking about it's never been an effort issue i guess we could have said you know i i do think that you know our lack of bench production getting zero bench points in the second half saturday could have come back and bit us but i've just been kidding because <laughs> there was zero bench minutes to produce any bench points so that was yeah something to see those guys uh going all the all the way and they did it and uh I'm really happy for that bunch of players and coaches and you know they earned it. They they not just Saturday. They've earned for a while the the opportunity to to get that feeling. So, good for them.
0: Meanwhile, the A State women had a split weekend. They actually played on the road Thursday at Coastal Carolina. They had some travel issues getting there, you know. We had the ice last week and their plane was delayed on Wednesday. They got into Charlotte, but they missed their connecting flight. They actually had the bus from Charlotte to Myrtle Beach, which I think is, what, three and a half hours. Anyway, they get there, and they played really well. In fact, picked up their second conference win, defeating Coastal 69-65 in a game that saw 10 ties and 13 lead changes. And Izzy Higginbottom, with a big performance, she had 24 points.
1: Yeah, the biggest thing was the the number of turnovers they forced in that ball game. You know, and the number of points they turned into maybe I think maybe scored twenty points off twenty six turnovers or something along those lines. And, and is he with with a big night? Travel issues is kind of kind of becoming their thing, isn't it?
0: It kind of is. Wrecked yeah. the
1: bus last time. A uh, miss a flight this time. They'll be glad that this week is their final two road games of the regular season.
0: The women win the game on Thursday, and then they fly home on Friday. They host Old Dominion on Saturday and dug themselves a, a big hole early on down 17 at the half, got down as many as 20 in the second half. I guess they came back, got it to five at one point. So a
1: couple of things. Uh, number one, there's just really no logic we've talked about it before, but this is a really, you can have a split weekend, but the two Arkansas States had really have made no sense. They in, in the men's case too, right? They did the same thing. they, played out east on Thursday and then had to come home on Saturday. Well, in Arkansas State, in the women's case, they had to play out east on Thursday night just to come home and play a team from out east. Uh, it just it, it makes no sense. Now, to your other point, yes, they got in a hole early, 12 at the end of the first quarter. And I wish I didn't have a time to look at the numbers here coming in, but that's at least three straight games that they've gotten down big in the first quarter because the other team just shoots the lights out. Happened at home against Marshall. You know, they were down 10 at Coastal at the end of the first quarter. Down 12 at the end of the quarter here. It was 17 at the break. It did get to 20. It did get to five. But let me tell you, I saw something that I didn't think I'd ever seen before in the first half, and then it even got topped in the second half. A-State got within seven late in the first half. And in the final minute, eight seconds of the half, Old Dominion went on a 10-0 run to make it 17. And that run took a minute, eight seconds. Mm. It gets to 20 with about two minutes to go in the third quarter. Uh, I can't remember what it was at the quarter break. A little closer than that. A-Stake scores like the first nine, 11, maybe even points of the fourth quarter. At one point, it gets to five. And there's still plenty of time to go. And all of a sudden, you're like, this, this game has been pretty lackluster. And all of a sudden, it's five-point ball game and the momentum. Over the next 54 seconds, Old Dominion goes on another 10 0 run. It's a game of runs. Well, yeah, but I mean, I just, I, you know, Coach Not usually I like that. are, are talking about, you know, Coach Alfred and I are talking about, boy, we've never seen anything like that last minute of the half to go 10 0 run in a minute, eight seconds. And then they topped it in the fourth quarter. It was under a minute. They went on a 10 0 run. And, you know, that was, then there wasn't enough time to come from 15 down when you would already gotten from 20 down. So, yeah, th- those two minutes were. Key, I guess, in a 40-minute game, I can tell you the two that did the most damage. You're outscored by 20.
0: Old Dominion ends up winning it, 87-75. We'll take a look at the week ahead in A-State Athletics when we come back.
1: Your first home is like this dream. The day you walk in, the sun seems to shine more brightly. The ceilings, they just seem taller. And you'll never fix that creaky floorboard because it sounds like comfort. What a hug would sound like if it made a sound. And that's when you realize you're home. Really, really home. Realize your dream with a home loan from Simmons Bank. Dreams realized. SimmonsBank.com. Member FDIC, equal housing lender, subject to credit approval.
0: Another great weekend for the A-State indoor track and field teams. I want to get to this. couple of events for the track and field teams. Friday and Saturday, they were in Topeka, Kansas, at the Washburn Open. And then Sunday at the South Alabama Invitational, which was not in Mobile, by the way. That was actually in Birmingham on Sunday.
1: At that great indoor complex they have there. That's the side of the Sunbelt Championship.
0: That's right. And then just great performances all around, just like the weekend before. The uh, A-State track teams turn in a total of 12 personal bests. 15 top five finishes and four individual titles. Cheyenne Melvin wins the 800 meters. Rahel Bromel, how about this? She sets a facility record in Topeka while winning the women's 3,000 meters. Imar Palmasimo wins the men's weight throw. And Evangeline Harris takes the women's shot put. So another great weekend.
1: Oh, um. (laughs) hum. That's really the only thing I want to hear about track, I mean, because, you, I, okay, a bunch of PRs and winning this and winning that. Okay, I just want to know, what were our podcast numbers like in Australia last week? That's all I need to hear.
0: We, we did get some social media feedback from Australia right. last week. Taking a look ahead for A-State basketball, the women are on the road. Actually, both teams are on the road this week. Women at Troy Thursday at 5.15, and then they'll be at James Madison Saturday at 3. I was talking with Cade Carleton earlier today and I said, "Hey, I haven't been to James Madison yet, so he's actually going before I am."
1: Well, whatever there is to do on the social scene there, he'll figure he'll it out. Do. There's one no thing doubt about, about if they've
0: got a concert venue or One something. thing about Cade, he asked for recommendations and he always goes. If I recommend a restaurant, he'll check it out. I know you and I both have given him a hard time about his travel schedules on the road when he does go on the road, but he lives it up. He, that dude enjoys traveling.
1: Yeah, and I will tell you, I'm not for it. <laughs> okay. because I don't why not? Because to me... He didn't put his time in. I'm skipping ahead now. We're close enough. I guess I'll just make it the rant. I didn't even have one. But now just this one's happened organically.
0: Uh, I'll mention this first. The men also on the road this week, Texas State Thursday at 7 and then at Georgia Southern Saturday at 2. Just a typical yes. Texas-Georgia
1: road swing. As you would always do. He hadn't put his time in. He should be on the bus paying his dues. Not jumping right out of the gate from the time he started this gig and go around living the life of Riley <laughs> and I don't even know who Riley is besides no I, I don't either. A good setup
0: he's enjoying life now he is on the bus a lot most of the time in fact but Kate does find ways to entertain himself while he's on the road as many times as I've been to places like Lafayette and Troy and Monroe everywhere else in the league I know where to eat that's one thing that You and I both have learned over the years. We usually find a good place to eat while we're on the road, and I know where the movie theaters are. (laughs) Yes. I've seen more movies in Mobile and Lafayette than I've seen in Jonesboro. Because when I'm here, me and my family, usually we don't have time to go to the movies, but I will go see a movie when I'm on the road.
1: Uh, I guess my number one issue with, with Cade, I guess, it's really not with him. It's the fact that he just clearly has a better agent than I had when I was traveling with a state women's basketball. Cause I'd have gone broke doing this stuff. He does.
0: <laughs> he checks the local concert schedules. If there's an NBA game within an hour, he'll go.
1: It's unbelievable. Tip your hat to the guy, I guess he's living life.
0: Hey, we appreciate Butch Jones coming in. Really enjoyed our conversation with him. And, We look forward to another great visit when you join us next week for our next edition of the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank.